Welcome to the Karuna Live podcast, an audio version of our free virtual Karuna Live events. Each month, a Karuna faculty member shares their knowledge and wisdom on a topic in which contemplative psychology is applied to daily life. The word Karuna means compassion in Sanskrit. Karuna training brings together a community of people who trust the wisdom of the world to awaken our compassionate hearts. We can learn to resource ourselves and integrate our experiences in a way that we can live a more empowered life. The world needs our compassion, health, and wisdom. We hope you enjoy this Karuna Live episode. Welcome to Karuna Live. It is Saturday, August 26th, and this Karuna Live is around the topic of harvesting joy. This um, program, Karuna Live, is something that we offer usually around monthly to give people a chance to, people who have already done Karuna training, a chance to practice um, some of our practices together, and for people who aren't familiar with Karuna training, a chance to sample. And my name is Miriam Hall. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the instructor for today. Even though people are are calling in from all over the place, we like to establish a land acknowledgement for the person who's leading, which is me today. So I'll say that I am currently in a place called Dejope or Tejope, um, T-E-J-O-P-E, which is the native land of the Ho-Chunk Nation, um, previously called the Winnebago Nation. And um, the colonial name is Madison, Wisconsin. And I wanted to name that yesterday I was out really enjoying what's called the Driftless Area here, which is an area where the glaciers didn't go. So a lot of Wisconsin's very flat, except for these areas. And I was in this really beautiful, really sacred spot that hadn't gotten wiped out by the glaciers and created a dell, which is a small canyon and with a creek in it. And I really loved it and just felt so relaxed and nourished there. And at the same time, recognized, it's just about 45 minutes outside of Madison, recognized this too was native land and isn't currently. Um, so just honoring, right, what what is still or still is native land, but they're not able to um, be the full caretakers. And there are some places here where they are, but they're very limited. Karuna training is a, is a program of contemplative psychology. We offer lots of small one-off programs like Karuna Lives or Introductions to Contemplative Psychology. We also offer retreats, often working with what we, what we are starting to call the non-drug psychedelic experience of Maitri Space Awareness. So getting into postures, using glasses to, to stimulate different aspects of the elements and our minds and ritual um, to discover things that are otherwise not apparent to us in a group. So you can have psychedelic and otherly experiences without doing drugs. Um, and we also do these two-year-long programs with a third optional year cohorts where people get to practice together over time and get to know each other and really go deep in the practice. So that's a bit about Karuna training. And the, the teachings are fundamentally come out of uh, originally the 
master's program in psychology from Naropa University was founded by Cho Kim Chopa. Um, everyone who's actually here knows me, but not everybody watching the recording knows me. So I'll say a couple things about myself. I am a contemplative arts and psychology teacher. I live in Techot, Madison, Wisconsin. And um, I spend a lot of time on Zoom, especially in the last few years. And I, I strive to build community with people through contemplative practices. So meditation and movements and photography and writing um, and working with our own minds in community. So that's, that's a bit about me. And I'm one of five lead faculty for Kruna training. So there are five lead faculty who run um, most of the programs and we, we pass it back and forth. We do a lot of collaborative and collective teaching. And then we have a lot of support faculty as well. Takes a village to run Kruna training. So that's a bit, bit about where I am and who I am and what this program is. These offerings, um, you know, already we're, we're 10 after, right? So it's an hour, it's not a lot of time, but it gives us a chance to meditate together. I'll give a short talk um, and then we'll have an experiential where we can do a practice together and then a chance to, to talk to each other and um, share out if you wish. And I really just want to reaffirm that you're always welcome to keep your camera off and that I consider you a full participant, even if you never say a thing. You don't put anything in the chat. You don't speak out loud. You're still fully participating in my book by being here. That having been said, if you ever want to speak or put something in the chat, you're welcome to. Even if I'm in the middle of a talk, you're like, I have a question. <laughs> I would like to know. Just raise your hand or unmute. Let me know. Um, I don't ever want to talk over anyone or or say something that doesn't make sense if we can help it. Um, also, I really want to encourage you to take care of yourself. So we're doing a practice about joy. Like, what, what more care do I need, right? Like joy is a great thing. Except for interestingly, <laughs> when we go into joy, which in Dharma teachings is actually the absence of suffering, somehow we often touch on suffering. They often either come together, which is natural, they're not so binary from each other, or sometimes we can feel how we're actually lacking in joy when we start talking about joy. So I really just want to encourage you to take care of yourself. And if at any point a practice is like, wow, this is not feeling good for me. This is not what I need to do. I need to get up and walk around. Maybe you don't need to leave the call entirely, but you need to do something else. That's totally okay. I'm not with you in a room, so I can't read you as much or modulate or adjust. Um, but you can take care of yourself, and I trust that. And if you actually need to leave, that's okay too. And I won't take it personally. Let's meditate for a bit. So because I know everyone who's here, I know that you know how to meditate. But I'll guide us through a brief meditation, again, for the recording's sake. So starting first by taking a slow look around your space. This is an orientation practice that I got from Resma Menachem, who's the author of My Grandmother's Hands. And um, wow, why can I suddenly not remember his second book? But My Grandmother's Hands is the most known book, and he's, he's one of my teachers. And this is a practice to help establish safety for your nervous system, which I find is important online and when you're with people you don't know. So take a look around your space. 
slowly is key, <clears throat> even if you're very familiar with the space. Gently looking over one shoulder, doesn't matter which first, giving a little twist to your spine, if that's possible. Slowly coming back around to center, taking a look at what's in your space and also noticing any doors or windows. <clears throat> and continue around to the other side. Your conscious brain might be saying, why are we doing this? This isn't doing anything. And take a couple deep breaths and see if you can just let your nervous system let you know if this is helping. And if not, it hopefully isn't hurting. I also encourage people when we're in Zoom, on Zoom to take a look at the leave key. There's a little button. Thank you, Karina. The Quaking of America is Resma's other book. Take a look at the leave key. Just remind yourself that you also can leave this room if you need to. Again, you're, you might be consciously like, why would I need to remember that? Of course I know it. But your nervous system might need a reminder that you have agency. And then feel the earth underneath your seat. If you're lying down under your back, under your feet. A sense of, brief sense of grounding. And finding a position that feels easeful and awake at the same time. So this is going to be pretty different for all of us. If you're seated upright, it's helpful, though not required, that you have both feet on the ground or you're cross-legged and your knees are below your hips. And your spine is relatively straight. Again, easeful but also awake. So you can adapt. And if you've meditated for a while, you probably already know what feels good for you. If you're lying down, I recommend meditating with your eyes open just to make sure you don't fall asleep. Then again, if you fall asleep, not a problem. And if you're moving, you're listening to this in a car or you're walking or you have more things going on in your environment, like children, And just try to keep a gentle awareness of a sense of grounding. Your body connected to the earth, even as you're in motion. And coming back to this sense of connection with the earth, through your feet and seat, your back, if you're driving through the wheels of your car. And that's our anchor at this moment. So that's what we come back to. At any point, you could and probably will get distracted, start thinking about something else. It might be potent and charged. It might be simple. But regardless of what pulls you away from feeling grounded, when you notice that's happened, coming back to your connection to the earth in whatever way that's easiest for you to connect with, And we'll practice that way in silence for a few minutes.
coming out of the practice, please do so gently. Your eyes have been closed, reopening them slowly. See if there are any parts of you that need little stretches or wiggles, shakes. If you found that you were nervous or agitated in your meditation, maybe you want to orient again. So take a look over your shoulders. Slowly look around your space. Now as we're coming together, I'm going to give a brief talk about joy and harvesting joy and to probably be looking at the screen more, looking at me, but also for those of you not watching the recording, take a look at the other faces or names here, right? So it might be an image with someone's name. You may or may not know these folks. Just taking a look because they're part of your room too now. They're on, they're on your screen, but they're on the screen in your room, so they're also with you. I wanted to open this brief talk with the same quote. Um, we do we send out newsletters for Kuna training at, that are tied to what's coming up in a recent uh, forthcoming Kuna Live. If you didn't see it, that's fine. Don't please don't worry. This isn't a guilt trip. If you saw it and didn't read it, um, you can also find it on a blog um, if you want to read this afterwards. But so I wrote an article about harvesting joy, and I opened with a quote from a writer named Ross Gay a black uh, writer about my age, I think in his 40s or 50s. And I'll put this quote in the chat as well, so that if you are live, you can also see it there. This is from his, he has a book called Inciting Joy. Inciting, as in, um, usually we talk about inciting as in inciting war, (laughs) something negative. This is inciting joy. What if joy is not only entangled with pain or suffering or sorrow, but is also what emerges from how we care for each other through those things? What if joy is not only entangled with pain or suffering or sorrow, but is also what emerges from how we care for each other through those things? And I would say also how we receive care from others and also even how we care for ourselves. There are sort of two levels of joy. One is, uh, and these are terms that will be familiar for people who've studied Dharma or Buddhism, and I'll also explain them a little bit if you haven't. So there's absolute joy. And by that, I don't mean you're absolutely happy. Absolute joy in, in Dharma is referred to as an absence of suffering. So a joy that is absent of suffering. It's actually one of the limitless qualities, like love and compassion and equanimity, especially when we can feel it around someone else's joy. Not have envy, but actually be happy for their joy, have joy for their joy. So that's absolute joy. It's liberation, really. 
liberation from suffering is joy on the absolute level. And while I believe it's possible, it's also something that we don't experience very often directly. And most of us more often experience relative joy, which is to say a momentary freedom from suffering. An example I gave um, also in another talk this morning was that I, yesterday in this space that I was talking about, this native um, land that's currently occupied, it's a place called um, Pewitt's Nest. It's of course named for the white man who found it and made and made a mill there. His last name is Pewitt. It's currently called Pewitt's Nest. I don't know the native name of the space or if it had one, but it's a creek that goes through one of these dells and has multiple little waterfalls. And you go into the lower part and then you can actually crawl up the, if you, if you're, I was only able to crawl up one, you can crawl up the waterfalls if you're adept and get into these deep pools of cool water. And it's been very, very hot here in Wisconsin this week. So it was really especially good to get into these deep pools of cool water on the creek. And lying there in that cool water, looking up through the canyon walls, the dell walls up at the trees, I just felt utter, not it's beyond relaxation, right? Just utter ease. No, no, nothing in my body clinging, nothing in my mind clinging, just a sense of complete rest and, and peace. And from that, it was so easy to be able to smile at the smallest thing, right? Like floating under a fern or watching a, a young woman decide that she's going to climb up the wall a bit and then jump into the deep part. Like, no, no concern but not just absence of concern and suffering and ease and ease and access to joy that I was able to easily smile. And then I thought, this is what we mean by the absence of suffering is joy. It's that when we are absent of suffering, it's so much easier to access joy. And so many of us have a lot of suffering. This is part of the truth of our existence and the four noble truths. So we also have a lot of pain, which means we experience direct and immediate situations when we're, we're harmed or in pain. And then we also tell stories about them that cause us a lot of suffering. So when we say absence of suffering, we don't mean we don't hurt. We mean that we're not making it worse. And when we're not busy making it worse, or when systems are not busy making it worse, I want to say it's not always our cause. Right? So also there can be quite oppressive systems that make that aggravate your pain and make it very, very hard to be free of suffering. So there are some people who really get, get stuck in suffering because it's very hard to be free of it. They can maybe have some freedom in their minds, but their lives are oriented with it. When we are able to get that, whether it's a moment or longer, then we can actually feel a deep joy that's more like a cool, deep well underneath us. Right, So it's more like that spot that I was floating in that I felt resourced by that deep, cool water. And we can tap into a joy that's above and beyond something that makes us happy and instead is abiding, long-lasting, and interdependent with our sorrow. So the relative experiences of joy we often talk about are, are things that bring us a feeling of happiness and celebration. 
And those can help us tap into that more absolute joy, that freedom from suffering, liberation. Practice as we meditate and can learn to let go of our tendencies towards suffering can also bring us a joy that may not look like fireworks and jumping around and dancing and may have a more placid quality to it, but also has this expansive sense that, again, anything could make us smile or open our heart, a place of being receptive to joy. And I found there are kind of two different ways to work with joy. And one is to really notice, and a lot of the contemplative practices I teach in writing and photography do this, work with what are called glimmers. Glimmers is a, a term that Deb Dana, who's a um, white woman who works in um, polyvagal, so nervous system work, has coined this term to basically mean the opposite of what we call triggers. So triggers, trauma triggers, things that bring us into a trauma state. Glimmers are things that bring us out of trauma states. Glimmers are things that actually bring us, if we're not in a trauma state, bring us a sense of joy. So for me, I'm certain birds. You know, I wake up in the morning. This morning, we could have our windows open for the first time in a week. So it's, the heat is fading, and I heard the chickadee. And I just immediately smiled, right? And that's, the chickadee is like a touchstone for me. So it's this immediate sense of joy that arises. It's a little glimmer of joy. It's not huge. If I'm really struggling, it might just barely pierce my depression or anxiety or suffering. But it usually at least touches me in a way that other things might not. So those are, are glimmers. And we can actually cultivate glimmers. So we can actually notice and cultivate. Deb Dana's book, Anchored, gets into this and talks about how to recognize what your glimmers are and actually let them in to your body, let them into you so you can actually feel them. You feel the joy and not bypass it. And then also how to recognize. Some of us feel very out of touch with that kind of small level of joy. And so how to recognize what brings us joy and, and cultivate it. So some of us, we know what it is, but we tend to kind of touch it and let go. Oh, no big deal. Well, yeah, the bird's singing, but, you know, there's a war in Ukraine. So some of us go that direction. Some of us are like, I have no idea what even brings me momentary joy. Or maybe when we're in a certain state, we can't. So glimmers can help with both. And then there's, again, that's like a relative joy, right? Glimmers are like a relative joy. Another way to practice with joy is to really um, dedicate ourselves to liberation. And sometimes when I say that, people are like, oh, sweetheart, dedicating yourself to liberation does not bring joy. It's hard work. And it's work that most of us won't see fruit of in our lifetime whether that's liberation from oppressive systems or whether it's more of an ultimate level of liberation from suffering. A lot of us are working toward, in our own small way, some kind of liberation for, from our own suffering or for all beings to be free of suffering. And that can be hard, hard work that lasts a long time. 
and doesn't always fruit in ways that we want it to. And so that's where Ross Gay's quote comes in. There's the cheering ourselves up momentarily, which is powerful. It is not a small thing. It's important. And there's also this more complicated joy, which comes with pain and sorrow, can come out of service and care, and is, is more complex and often harder to recognize. And that's actually what I want to spend the most time on today is really recognizing when that complicated joy arises, what that feels like for us, where we notice it, and how we can actually really harvest that, how we can actually keep that in mind and heart. Because those are the moments where we might want to escape the suffering and say, I'm going to go do something else that brings me joy. But escaping suffering is not the same thing as eliminating suffering or being free from suffering. It's running away from suffering. The suffering is still there. So how to stay with a situation that could be painful or just sorrowful, right? Someone's passing, for instance. They're dying. And this is probably the example that comes up the most, which is at a funeral or a celebration of life, where we go and, and feel the sorrow of someone dying that we loved. And at the same time, we're able to laugh about stories and hear things from people that we hadn't heard before, see photos we hadn't seen before, and feel glimmers of connection to this loving being and the reason why we love them. We feel gratitude as well as the grief. Can anyone, is there anyone who's like, wow, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never experienced joy at the same time as pain. It can be hard to, to think of it, right? We might be like, conceptually, yeah, that makes sense. But what, I can't think of an example right now in my life where you've had joy and pain in relative quick succession or kind of together and caring for someone and caring for yourself. Yeah, it's, pow it's powerful how the, one of the most biggest examples for me is of a friend who died a few years ago of cancer, who was 44. So he died quite young. And um, I hadn't seen him in a long time. I, I went to visit him the year before he died, but I hadn't spent a lot of time with him in his current life. We've known each other for over 20 years. And I joined this Facebook group when he was in the dying stages because I wasn't able to go and be with him. And thousands of people from across the world, because he was a kind of a big fish in a small pond of um, musicians, were posting videos and stories about him. And I felt this, like, it both hurt to see that it was, like, painful. Like, look at this being that we're losing. Even though it wasn't a complex, otherwise there wasn't painful in the same way you're talking about, Anne. It was more like an exquisite pain that I couldn't always even look but then when I could, I felt such joy. I don't think I've ever felt joy and pain at the same time as strongly as I felt it then. And sometimes I couldn't do it. I was like, oh, I have to, <laughs> I have to, go, to go do something else and to get some space. It's not surprising that these examples involve dying and death. That's not the only place they happen. But that's, I think, where we often run into the edge of our our joy and celebration and the, the pain that we experience. And, and the Dharma actually says that our fundamental, the cause of our suffering is the denial of impermanence. 
This is our fundamental, our denial of death, our denial that things change. It's us trying to make things last that gives us the deepest root of suffering. So also some of what I'm hearing in all these descriptions is a level of acceptance, which can take time. But when we're actually able to be, as Anne said, in the situation as is with the person as they are, there's actually a freedom in that that can allow us to feel the whole thing, the pain and the joy. Doesn't always happen that way. And if you, you've had never experienced that with death, it's okay, there's nothing wrong with you. This sometimes has to be a very special situation. So, wow, such beautiful shares. Thank you everyone so much. Um, I wanna take a moment for us to, to practice with this together, to just kind of really let ourselves um, confirm the connection, affirm the connection with this kind of sensation. So we're gonna do a small, version of uh, and an adaptation of what's called the four-step practice in karuna training so some of you are familiar with this and some are not the four-step practice is often used for something that we're struggling with so it's used as a practice to let ourselves feel what we're struggling with or suffering around actually feel the sensations notice where it is in our body if we can not everyone can feel into their body so you can also just notice how your mind is working with it, what emotions and images are arising, and then to feel compassion, let ourselves actually feel compassion toward ourselves for that suffering, and then to let it go. So in brief, those are the steps. But um, we have a small amount of time, and I have found that it's also good to apply this to mixed or joyful things, that a lot of us don't spend enough time with joy. So we sort of shy away from sorrow, right? Like, I want this over with, I want it to go away. And strangely, we also shy away from staying with joy. Like, let's move on, right? That's, oh, well, that was nice, but let's go, right? So this is being offered as a way to help us actually feel so that, and this is what the harvesting is, when we can stay a bit longer with the joy, especially complex joy, like we're talking about, that helps us access a, a really transcendent place, then it's more available for us when we need it. If we harvest it, then it's in our basket. And when we're really struggling, we can access it more. If we just kind of do it and then disappear, we, we won't remember it until we're having a conversation like this, which honestly, we don't have most of the time. I, this is part of the reason why I teach, so that I get to have conversations like this frequently, but most of us don't have these conversations frequently, right? So we want to make this resource available to us more regularly. So that's why I'm offering practice. So again, um, if you felt activated or, or triggered in any way, which can happen because we're talking about some tender territory, especially death, or if your nervous system feels agitated, you're not sure why, that's fine. Let yourself settle again a bit. So you may have found that that looking around the orientation from Resma Menicum didn't help. If it didn't help, then you don't have to do it. You can also just gently rub and patch your body, both hands. Feel your connection to the earth or take a couple deep breaths. We're just giving your nervous system a chance to know that it's safe.
And each of us gave a very potent, powerful example. So unless something else is arising that you prefer to work with, I would suggest each of us dropping in to that. The, the glimmer of absolute joy, the access of this joy that's complex. And absolute joy is complex. It is not simplistic. It's not, oh, gee, I feel nice. It's the poignancy, the complexity, the paradox. So the first step is just to recognize a felt sense or a feeling or state that you want to spend some time with. We each have already invoked one. Whether that's being with your mother as she's dying and all the shit's falling away, all the bullshit, so you can be real together. Whether it's painful and difficult, but at the same time you're getting to really also appreciate this person. Whether it's being able to communicate with someone after they've passed, either through community, through stories shared, or they come to you and you're able to help them find freedom while you're grieving at the same time. Or you can feel love for someone that was hard to access when they were alive. So all these examples that came out of the sharing, any of these are shiveringly good examples to work with. And the second step is to notice what's happening in your body as you stay with this moment. Again, if you have a hard time with interoception or feeling inside of your body, you can notice what images are arising in your mind's eye. If that maybe there are quotes or statements. Maybe you feel how your mind has changed quality from being speedy to slow or vice versa. And if you can, notice if there's any part of your body, your heart, your throat, stomach, it's often in the core of your body. I've been getting shivers for almost this entire time. So I can feel the goosebumps on my skin. And tears behind my eyes. But also my heart just wide open. It's not good or bad. Just noticing what's arising for you. And I'll, I'll shut up for a couple minutes so you can notice what's there. If you start getting distracted, interpreting, trying to analyze, just come back to the images, the words, the sensations, really appreciating them as is. The realness of them. And the third step is to embrace. So really holding this experience closer, really acknowledging this is your experience and all of its complexity. Sometimes people find it puts to, helps to put a hand on the part of their body where you're experiencing it or give yourself a hug, bilateral hug. It's nice too. Or just visualizing 
sense of connection, making sure you're not separating yourself from this experience. It's a part of you. It's there for you. And at the same time, the fourth step is to let go. So this experience is part of you, and it's also not the entirety of you. This experience is part of you, but you are not this experience. You are many experiences. So when you feel ready, if your eyes have been closed, gently reopening them. Feeling into the rest of your body, wiggling your toes, fingers, gently rotating your neck or waist, and feeling into the whole space around you. Sometimes touching a few things can help just to reground you, especially if that was intense. This, too, is my experience. All of it. And if you're live, taking a peek at each other's images or faces, they don't come up on the recording. You're just seeing me if you're watching the recording, but just taking a peek. Here are these people who have shared with you. You've been able to feel because of their sharing. Thank you all so much. I wish that we could just keep doing this. <laughs> it was so delicious. And actually, the Karuna Lives often do tie to longer programs, right? So it's not just um, it's not just a preparation for Karuna training. It's also a way to build community. So I'm, I'm going to be offering another Karuna Live, this one on the complexity of celebrating um, around American Thanksgiving and around Christmas and other holidays. So during the holiday season, quote unquote, the complexity of celebrating so slightly related to this, but also its own kind of kettle of fish. So I'll be offering that in November. I also have what's called an introduction to contemplative psychology, which is a, a two hour or longer day, sometimes day long program. This one's two hours. Uh, it's September 24th about, um, about embodiments, shameless embodiments of being in our bodies um, especially given any struggles we have around gender and sexuality, which, by the way, all of us have. Some of us have more oppression than others, but all of us are given mixed messages about bodies and sexuality. So that's coming up, and it's, it's, it'll be similar to this, but we'll have a chance to go deeper because it's two hours. And there are monthly Kuna Lives. There are different retreats. There's one coming up in California soon where we do Maitri Space Awareness, the practice I was describing. So if you're interested, um, you can always sign up at the Karuna Training website for their newsletter, for our newsletter, so that you can find out about events coming up or check their events page. And um, if you're interested in the, some of the things that I offer, um, you can go to my webpage, which is herspiral.com, H-E-R-S-P-I-R-A-L. And I have listings of um, mainly photography and writing and a coaching community I run, annual coaching community called Return, where we do some Karuna training practices and other Dharma practices weekly together. And then we also set an intention in the beginning of the year and we uh, meet once a month 
to really check in about our intentions. So that'll start again at the top of 2024. And I have a newsletter as well, if you want to sign up for that newsletter to keep informed. And I just want to close. Um, again, I'm so sorry. I wish we had more time, but that's that's time for you. That's impermanence. Um, I want to close with what we call a dedication of merit. So just really acknowledging that our practice, especially practice today, which is a, in Tibetan Buddhism is Guru Rinpoche Day. So it's Padmasambhava, who's a tremendous teacher who brought Buddhism from India to Tibet the second time when it actually stuck and stayed. So a celebration of that transmission and passing along. But to really dedicate our practice, that it benefit not just us, although that's a lot, that's great, but also all beings. So all beings suffer. It's something we have in common with all beings. All beings wish to not suffer. Sometimes we know how, sometimes we don't. So wishing that our, our practice of being able to be with the complexity of joy could benefit all beings in ways that we understand and don't understand. So just taking a moment to set that aspiration and hopefully being able to take with you this touchstone, this memory, image, sensation of an experience of complex, authentic, absolute joy were you able to touch that taking that with you as a resource thank you for listening to this karuna live audio episode we hope you have found the episode supportive if you'd like to attend a free virtual karuna live please visit us at karunatraining.com thank you